morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off the fourth chapter of Ksuvas, page 43a, six line from the top. A daughter who is supported by the brothers in the state of the father. One of the conditions of the Ksuva is that the wife makes a condition with her husband that any daughter she's going to have with him after his death is responsible to support the daughter. She lives in the house and, and she gets, uh, she gets uh, fed by the... She has to be taken care of. So the sons who inherit, they are responsible to take care of this daughter. So the question he asked is, my me her earnings. Who gets her earnings? Usually her earnings would go to the father. But now that the father died, but the sons, but she's being taken care of by the estate. The question is, the Makam Afkaimi, are the brothers like substituting for the father? And therefore Masa Majidilab, just like her earnings, the father would get her earnings. So the father supports his daughter. How can Nami Majidilah? And so to now the the brothers the sons get her earnings. You can't compare the brothers to the father. She's being supported from his work. He is supporting her. So therefore it makes sense that he also gets her earnings. That's not like they're being generous and they're supporting her. It doesn't belong to them either. It's his estate. They inherited. She's, they're supporting her from the father's estate. So maybe they don't deserve to get her earnings. She should keep her earnings for herself. That was the question of Avina posted of Sheshis. So Amalei, Avina responded, Nisu, I'll bring you a proof. In a mission. It says later on in the tract, A widow supported from the estate. Inherited by the orphans, I see and the earnings belong to them. So clearly, same thing, same same situation. That uh, they have to support her, right? As part of the silver, she'll be supported, and therefore, just like over there, the because the estate is this, the orphans are supporting her, they also get together to keep her earnings. You don't argue, well, what do you mean? They're not, they're not supporting her from their own money. They're supporting her from the inherited money. It doesn't matter. Since they, are, they inherited it, now it's theirs, and they are supporting her, therefore it makes sense that they get her, her, uh, they get her compensation, her uh, paycheck, um, her earnings. So too, also, also over here, in the case of the daughters, the brothers should get their pay, her earnings. The mother says, how could you compare the two? The widow doesn't want to profit the expense of her sons. She wants her sons to get her, her earnings. But the daughter... He wants, he wants that she profit at the expense of his sons. By the widow, the husband doesn't want that she should profit at the expense of his sons. So the husband wants her and says, listen, this is the condition. I'm going to take care of you, and after I die, my son, our children, our sons will take care of you. 
But the price is that you, we, we get the earnings. And the sons don't get the earnings. But the father looks out for his daughters, loves his daughters. So he wants the daughters to keep their own earnings. He says to the sons, listen, it's my inheritance. A part of my inheritance is you inherit the obligation to take care of your sister. But I want her to keep her own earnings. See, your mother says, Lememla, you're saying the Bitya Adifu Mamanasa? You're saying a father loves his daughter more than he does the love of his wife? That he said that the rabbis made a widow in relation to the daughters, just like the daughters in relation to her brothers. Meaning, if there's only a meager estate, he left a very meager estate. So usually, if there's only a meager estate, so then we, the halacha says, just like the, 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 when you have the brothers and the sisters, the sons and the daughters. So what do you do if you only have a meager estate? There's not enough money to both give to the sons and to support the daughters. So what do you do? Let the daughters be nourished from the estate. Let the sons, the brothers go collect. Go, go schnar. There's only enough money. Take care of the daughters. The father would rather take care of his daughters and she shouldn't humiliate themselves and have to go beg. The sons, let them go beg. So he says also, Shababa said, in the name of Rabbi Yaisi, Amman is the same way. If there's only a meager, meager uh, estate, and there's not enough to both support the widow and the daughters, so we do the same thing. The wife should live comfortably. Let the daughter go beg. So what do we see? That the husband loves his wife more than he loves his children. Who would you choose? One above the other. <laughs> the answer that the, the wife comes first. How do you educate your, your daughter? You educate him by being a role model, an example. How you treat your wife. Your wife comes first. She's the, she's the queen. So she comes first. So therefore, if we say in the case of the widow that her earnings go to the sons, how much more so if the husband, wants, the husband who loves his wife more than he loves his daughter has to respect them mother more. And nevertheless, the earnings go to the sons because they're supporting her. How much more so in the case of the daughters that the, that the earnings should go to the brothers. Yeah. Not like Rav Shesha said. The mother says, no, Rav Shesha is correct. He has two favors. He loves his widow and he loves his daughters. It depends what. It comes to, it comes to disrespecting, it comes to a matter of respect that she should have to go out and beg. The wife comes first. Rather the daughters, the young, youngsters beg. Than the, it's not dignified as wife. You have, to, you have to respect your wife more than you respect yourself. You have to love, you have to love your wife as much as you love yourself. You have to respect them more than children you love as much as you love yourself but not but respect when it comes to respect and dignity your wife's dignity comes first so you would rather his wife should live comfortably and let the daughter go beg but when it comes to love however you love your daughter more you want her to keep her earnings more so than your own wife order to be able to get married 
So the more money she has, she's going to be a catch. So it will help her get married. The wife is already married. She's a widow. You don't have to look out for her. But here, you wanted to set her up in life. So you would rather that the daughter should be able to supplement her income, keep her own earnings on top of the piece of the estate she'll get to help her marry. When she gets married, she'll also have her additional income. So the father wants her to give her the best advantage possible so, so, so she'll be able to marry. Yeah. So now Rabbi Yosef is asking, Rav Sheish, Rav is established that who gets the earnings? The daughter keeps her own earnings. So Rabbi Yosef asks, our Mishnah says, that her earnings and her findings, even though she did not collect them, she didn't yet collect them, she didn't yet get paid yet, she already did the work, but she didn't collect the paycheck. Meisav, and then the father dies, and who gets the paycheck? The brothers. So time, but the reason is, the reason is, the reason why the earnings belong to the brothers is because she worked while the father was still alive. But what if, but what if she worked after the father died? Any work she does after the father dies, and it belongs to her. So my lab in Israel, uh, surely the mission is talking about a case where the daughter is being supported by the brothers. So we see clearly that the earnings, she keeps her earnings. Not like Rav Sheisha says, that she has to give her earnings to the brothers. Which is held that you have to give it to the brothers, just like the widow, he didn't make any distinction. But the Gemara disagree. The Gemara says, no, we can make a big distinction. Maybe in the case of the brothers, the father would rather. She should keep it. It's a question of Sheshit. We see clearly in the Mishnah, not like of Sheshit. The brothers don't get to keep it. It's only in the case where when she worked, the father was alive. Then we say that, that even though the father dies before she collects the paycheck, the paycheck goes to the brothers because they inherited from the father. The moment she worked, it already belongs to the father. He died. It's part of the estate and the brothers inherited it. Not her. But any work she does after the father dies, it belongs to her. It doesn't belong to the brothers. Not like Rav Sheshach. mother says, No. talking about she's not being supported. Yes, if she's not being supported, we're talking about a case where the brothers are not supporting her. Then, when the fa- if the, any work she does after the father dies, of course it belongs to her. But in the case where the brothers support her, then the, the earnings would belong to the brothers, just like the widow's earnings belong to the brothers. Like Abshesha said. So what's the mission coming to teach us? Obviously. If, if she, the brothers are not supporting her, who else should, who else should get her, hand, her earnings? Of course. So what's the mission coming to teach me? Mother says, why don't I need the Mishnah to make this inference to infer that any work she does after the father dies belongs to her? It's obvious. Why is it so obvious? Because even according to the opinion that holds, it's an argument. But even according to the opinion that holds that the master can say to his Canaanite servant, work for me, but I'm not going to support you. <laughs> Go beg. Go to shul and collect money. I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to feed you. He has a right to say that. That's only true in the case of the Canaanite slave. Like Sibayimor doesn't say support is good with him with you. It's not with you. You don't have to take care of him. 
But in the Hebrew, it says, he has to work with you, Loi. You have to feed him. He has to sit with you at the table. One steak, one portion, he gets the steak. Because if you get it, then you're treating him less. You have no choice. He gets it. So he says, so culture can beat this, how much more so his daughter. So you don't need to tell me that after the father dies, any work that she does belongs to her, not to the brothers. Even the father wouldn't get her, her earnings. If he's not supporting her, he doesn't get the earnings. He doesn't have a right to tell her, give me everything. Whatever you earn belongs to me because I'm your father and uh, go beg. He doesn't have a right to do that. You have to feed me. And if you don't feed me, I'm keeping my earnings. So how much more so the brothers, if the brothers are not feeding her, why would he even think, why would he even entertain a thought that she has to give him the earnings? The mission has to infer and come to teach me that the brothers don't get the earnings. It goes without saying. You know what we need our Mishnah? Really, Rav Sheshit is right. That, um, that the, if there's earning, if, if, if the brothers are feeding her, the brothers get the earnings. The Mishnah is talking, when the Mishnah says she keeps her earnings, we're talking about the brothers and not feeding her. So why do we need a Mishnah to infer that, to teach me that? Well, he needs to teach me. He's talking about if she earns more surplus income, she earns more than she needs. She's getting a nice salary. So the question is, what happens to that surplus? So yes, a father can take his daughter's earning and not support her. She can't force her to beg for food. But any surplus in income, that belongs to the father. Okay. If I'm going to feed you, if I'm not going to feed you, so, so you, whatever earnings, keep for yourself, to feed yourself. But any surplus, that belongs to the father. So the mission has to come to teach me, to the father, not to the brother. After the father dies, any surplus income that she gets, even though she has enough to feed herself, the surplus income doesn't belong to the state. She keeps everything. Exactly what the mission is coming to teach me. And now she's on her own. So she's not, a even though she's a, a she's money, young, yeah, any. exactly. Even though she's very young, and really the father has rights, those rights are not inherited by the sons. Exactly, it's exactly the mission coming to teach. Amar Rabbe, Rabbe says, could it be a great man like Rabbi Yisuf didn't know there's no that there are surplus earnings? Become moisture to you. If then, nevertheless, he presented the challenge. He sure, surely knew this answer, and yet, yet he didn't even present the challenge, didn't accept this answer. Rabbi Rabbi says, Rabbi Yisuf's question is from the mission itself. It says, our mission says, her earnings and her findings. Even though she didn't yet have a chance to collect a paycheck yet, and then the father dies before she collects a paycheck, but after she already did the work, so, what are we talking about? What do you mean a finding she didn't collect yet? How is that possible? How can you have a finding you found something lost and found? You found something that was lost by someone else and you didn't collect it yet. How is that possible? What do you mean? <laughs> if you didn't collect it yet, then you didn't find it. It's not yours. Surely this is what the mission is saying. Her earnings are like, like things that she finds. Anything she finds during the lifetime of the father belongs to the father. 
Anything she finds after the father dies, Latma belongs to herself, not to the state, not to the brother. Even when she's supported by the brothers, by the estate. But her findings belongs to herself. Obviously, it belongs to her. We're not, that goes without saying. Even, when the brothers are not, but the question is, even when the brothers are supporting her, it belongs to her. Surely, it belongs to her. It goes without saying. Because findings belong to the father. The Torah says anything, anything from the daughter belongs to the father at a young age, until the age of twelve and a half. Anything belongs to her father. The Torah gives it to, to the father. Why? So the father shouldn't feel bad about his daughter. That he's supporting her and yet here she has her own income. So everything she gets belongs to the father. Because really he's not obligated to support her. Only when she's a little girl. So we're saying if, you, if you don't, he doesn't get the father, doesn't get to keep the findings of his daughter, he'll resent the fact. Why, why am I supporting you? I get nothing from it. So therefore we say that it belongs, it belongs to the father. So it's only a father who has an option of not supporting her. So therefore the rabbi said that she, she gets all the findings. The brothers, however, are obligated to support her. They don't have a choice. It's part of the condition. You get the estate. But part of the condition is the estate has to support. The father committed in the ksuva to the, to the mother, to the wife. He's going to support uh, their daughters. No, so therefore, there's no reason to give them the finding. There's no resentment. They can't. Well, they can't stop it. They can't. They're obligated to. There's no option. It's not optional for them. So there's no reason to give them the the, the finding. So that's what he's saying. That's what the mission is saying. Just like it's clear that anything she finds belongs after the father dies belongs to herself, even if the brothers are supporting. So So to her earnings, any earnings, any work that she did while the father was alive belongs to the father. And even though she didn't collect it yet, when she collects the paycheck, it goes to the brothers, the estate. But any work that she does after the father dies, even if the brothers support her, belongs to herself. That was Rabbi Yisuf's refutation of Rav Sheshis. That was his question. You, Rav Sheshis, argue that since the brothers are supporting her, they should also get her earnings. The Mishnah states clearly, no, not like that. The Mishnah compares her earnings to findings. Just like finding, it's clear. Anything she finds after the father dies, even though the brothers are supporting her, the estate is supporting her, belongs to her. The Mishnah is saying the same thing is with her earnings. Any earnings, any work that she does after the father dies, the earn, even the brothers are supporting it belongs to her. Not like Rav Sheshis. Hmm. The question is, what's their problem? So in other words... Shema says it's approved. Rav Sheshis is not like Rav Sheshis. Even when the brothers support her, she keeps her earning. We learn, even now we also learn Rabbi Huda Merav, it was in the Merav, Basin the Zainas, and the Achim, I not like Rav Sheshis. And a daughter who's supported by the estate, she kept to keep her own earnings. Said, My time, what's the reason? Why aren't the brothers entitled to earnings? See, it says in the positive, you should keep them in your possession. We're talking about Canaanite slaves that you just mentioned, Phil. You should keep the possession to the children. They inherit the Canaanite slaves. You inherit slaves, you don't inherit. Your daughters, your daughters don't belong to you, your children don't belong to you, and the brothers don't inherit their sisters. 
That's not the way life works. You don't inherit the, uh, the rights. The rights of the Tater grants of father does not inherit, you know, the children don't inherit those rights. Maslow, Rabbi, Rabbi, question. Rabbi objected. Maybe the Pasuk is only excluding fines for seduction and rape. Or, or bodily injury. is only speaking about the fines. Fines that usually would go to the father, or for bodily injury, they usually be paid for the father. The, the sons don't inherit, and the, then the daughter gets to keep it. If the father dies, the daughter gets to keep it. But how do you know it goes refers to everything? Even though they're supporting her, the estate is supporting her. Her earnings, she gets to keep her own earnings. Only excluding rights that the Torah gives. The Torah says that the rights, the fines for rape and seduction, those fines go to the father, or if the daughter is is wounded, so the bodily injury, the the the, the, the compensation goes to the father. So the Torah says those rights are not inherited by the sons. But how do you know it refers to every single every single earnings? Maybe it makes sense the brothers should get the earnings. They're supporting you. We're supporting you. Right. So anything that you're working, has to, you have to bring it back into the estate. Put it back into the estate. If the estate is supporting you, it right. makes sense that anything you earn, put, put, it, put it back into the estate. Turns out she so you might answer... <laughs> oh, now the Gemara says, Chavala is cited the Gufaninu. Why are you including uh, in the fine, you're also including bodily injury? Bodily injury are personal pain. Even the father doesn't get personal pain. Personal pain, they only get the penalty, the fine, but not personal pain. Personal pain belongs to her. So why are you saying that the sons is inherit the right for compensation for personal pain for bodily injury if the bod- the loss of work there's payment of loss of work if there's bodily injury okay that goes to the father because he gets her her compensation he gets her earnings so if there's a loss of earning that that should go to the father but but the other payments of, of pain personal pain that goes to her she, her body was painful not the father's she's in pain so of course she should get that compensation. Even the even the father doesn't get that compensation. Why are you saying? Why does I need a pasuk to tell me? Why are you including that the pasuk to tell me the children don't inherit that right? Even the father doesn't have that right. says we continue on side B. We're talking about someone wounded her when she was wounded in the face, and therefore depreciates her value. So if the father was alive, he would be awarded him because he has the right to sell her. Now, wounded in her face, it's, it's, it, affects, it affects her value. And that's why, that's what the puzzle comes to teach me. That type of, of bodily injury which affects her value, which the father would have a right, the children, the sons don't inherit that right. Uh, Same person, the question is what his title was. If Rav Zeda or Rabbi Zeda. In other words, what point in his life did he make the statement? When he lived in Babylonia, there was no smich in Babylonia, he was referred to Rav Zeda. When he went to Eretz Yisrael, 
He studied under Rabbi Yechon. He got his smicha, then he's, he was elevated to Rabbi Zayd. The only argument is when he made the statement. So, oh, when he was a Rav Zayd or when he was a Rabbi Zayd? He said, daughter who's, who's um, supported by the estate, by the brothers, she gets to keep her earnings. So the Pasuk said earlier that you can inherit, you can pass on the Canaanite slaves, but you can't pass on the rights, the father can't pass on the rights of his, of his daughter to his sons. You can't inherit the rights of your daughter to his son. The diligent one said, Who is he referring to? Who is the diligent one? Shmuel. Shmuel is referring to Shmuel as the diligent one. Because he was very diligent about his rulings. And the law follows when it comes to financial matters, monetary matters. Whenever there's a dispute in Rav and Shmuel, the law follows Shmuel when it comes to financial matters because he was very diligent and very precise about his rules. But Rab is the one who said it. Why are you saying Shmuel said it? What he meant to say is not only Rab said it, but in this case there's no argument. Shmuel doesn't argue with Rab, he agrees with him. And when it comes to financial matters, he follows Shmuel, not Rav. So he's saying, this, law, this case, the law follows Rav, because even Shmuel, the diligent one, also agrees with him. This one the law follows Rav that the, the sons get to keep the earnings. Not like we just said. Ravashi says, Ravashi is the final editor of the Talmud, final word. He says, no. And the law follows like Rav. And Shmuel. That the daughter gets to keep, even when she's being fed by the, even she's being uh, uh, taken care of by the estate, by the brother, she gets to keep her own earnings. Okay, next mission. If one gives his daughters a minor or neither medicine, the geisha, and then the groom divorces her before he marries her, is um, and then he gives her the father gives her medicine a second time, this arm alone, and then she becomes a widow. The groom dies. Ksuba still belongs to the father. He still has a right over her. Because since it was only the first stage of marriage, it was only the Edison, the betrothal, and then she lost her husband, or two husbands, lost or divorced, doesn't matter. He still keeps her right, the right over her. So all the money goes to him. But what if he see it? If she married, then the Gersha, and then her husband divorced. Where he see him. In this armor, or she married, or she married the second time. In this armor, she was a widow. She was a lot. Then the mar- then the the suva belongs to her. She's independent. Even the father's still alive. Once she was married, and then she's divorced or widowed, she uh, become the money goes to her. The father loses all his rights over her. The first one, Shalab, the first silver belongs to the father. The lady said to him, 
Once he gave, gave her Nusuya, the father has no jurisdiction over her. That, uh, so the, 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 arguing, the argument is, Buddha says that the first marriage, that she was, she was divorced from, the father gets the Ksuba. The second marriage, she remarried. And then she, and then she became a widow. That Ksuba belongs to her. And the rabbis say, no, even the first marriage, once she gets married, it disconnects her from her father. She's independent. She's on her own now. Whatever happens afterwards, belongs, everything belongs to her. Once she's married, she's independent. Even, even at the time. Okay, let's see. Let's see the Gemara. It's like the Gemara... Hi, but the reason is they see even the Mishnah says only she marries twice. Or once she was one marriage, she was divorced, and the for one marriage she was divorced, the other marriage she was widowed. What if she was the widow twice? Or in this garish, once she was widowed twice, Sule Chazilin Subi, she's not fit to remarry. Because she would be considered that. Why does the mission switch? What difference does it make? She was divorced twice. Uh, she was she was divorced once and and, and, and then widowed the second time. Why does it just say it? Um, widowed twice? comes to teach us that once she's widowed twice, she's no longer allowed to marry a third husband. She's established as a, as a murderer. She kills her husband. What is he called? A black widow. A black widow. She's established. So she's not allowed to marry a third time. And in passing, he presents anonymous mission according to Debbie. He's arguing in Rebbe and the rabbis whether... You learned in Yuvamas, Rebbe and Abishimim Gamaliel, Rebbe and his own father. How many times, when is she considered the black widow, when does she become prohibited to marry again? Rebbe says, after twice you establish a chazak. Abishimim Gamaliel says, no. Well, after, only after three times. Our Mishnah says, by the way, comes to teach us the law follows Rebbe. He's saying that our Mishnah holds like Rebbe. That's why he says the first marriage she's divorced and the second marriage she became a widow. It doesn't say widowed both marriage. Because the widow was married, she would not be allowed to remarry. Okay. The first time, the first marriage, the Ksuva belongs. After the first marriage, the Ksuva belongs to the father. My time, what's the reasoning of Rabbi Huda? Rabbi Rabbi Yisrael, both Rabbi Rabbi Yisrael said, because the right, when does the right begin? The right for the Ksuva begins the moment of her betrothal. When she was betrothed, it belonged to the father. So even though she got married, subsequently married, a full marriage, nevertheless, the right remains with the father. Though it's not collected till after marriage, but since the, the obligation begins with the betrothal, then she's still under her father. Her father's right, therefore he, he retains that right. Even though the collection is after marriage, the father gets the ksuvah. That's the reason of Rabbi Hud. Must have got another question. We learned the Brahim said with him, the first marriage, the ksuvah of the first marriage belongs to the father. If he betrothed his daughter when she was a minor, and then she became a begetter, she turned to 12 and a half. 
When she gets married, the father has no rights. My why? Why don't you say the same reasoning? What difference does it make that now she's a begetter and now she's beyond the clutches of her father? She's independent. But the, when it began, the betrothal, the obligation which begins with the betrothal, she was a katana, she was a minor. So, so even though the divorce, or the, she becomes a widow after, she marries after, she becomes a begetter. And then she gets divorced, she becomes a widow, the ksuba, she belongs to her father. Well, rather, Yitmar, if you learn, this is what Rabbi Rabbi Yisuf said, explaining Rabbi Huda's reasoning. Since they are written, while she's yet in his, his jurisdiction, the Ksub is usually written right before the Nusuyim, right before the Chuppah, that's, that's when you write the Ksub. So he says, since when you write it, right before the Nusuyim, she still belongs to the father. So therefore, even though she gets married and then she gets divorced or becomes a widow, the payment is later, it doesn't matter, the right remains with the father. But in the case of the Braise, where she gets married after she becomes a begetter, and the Ksuv is written when she becomes a begetter, at that point she's independent. Twelve and a half, she's on her own. Therefore, the father has no rights over the ksuvah. Regarding collecting the ksuvah, when does she collect? If someone buys all the properties of her husband, is mortgaged to pay off her ksuvah. The question is, from when does she collect? And the mother's question, usually when there's a lien on the property, when the property is mortgaged to pay a debt, so it's only valid if it's written, because you can't hold the buyer responsible if there was no document. He's not, I bought it, I didn't know there's a lien. I did my title search, there was no lien, there was nothing written. So, it's, you, so it's, you follow only if it's written from the date that it's written. In the case of the ksuba, however, is different. The obligation begins the moment of the betrothal, the husband and wife. When do they write the ksuba? The day of the marriage. That's, that's the date that they put. But they could never let the question the Gemara asks is whether she can collect the ksuba on the property that was sold after the betrothal before the marriage, before the, the document is written. If, if you can collect the ksuva from, from the lien, if you can collect the lien the ksuva, from the property that was sold after the betrothal, but before the, before the marriage, before the ksuva was written, actually written, before the date the ksuva was actually written, why is it even a question? How could there be a lien on property that wasn't written? Because the ksuva is an obligation that the court imposes. Any court obligation, that's public. That's not, that's, that's as if it's written. You don't need to write a ksuva. What if she there's a divorce or she becomes a widow after the betrothal? You can collect the ksuva because there's a court. The court imposes that mortgage and that lien on the property. So therefore, it's not a question. The only question is that since you write the ksuva, later on you do write the ksuva the day of the marriage. You actually write a document and you put that date. The question is, does the wife forgive Anything that comes before that day, she like forgoes her, her, uh, her rights. Says it's only from now on that we're putting a date on it. That's the question. That's what I asked. 
But as mig the main mezgavia, when when do you when could you collect on the properties on the lien? So answers the basic obligation of a ksuva, whether it's a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, depending if she was a virgin or not. That that you can collect from the time of the betrothal. The lien is on the property from the time of the betrothal. But the toysvus, any supplementary income that he promised her, that's collected from the time of the nisuya. Because that's not a bezin, that's not a, an act of court, that's not an obligation of the court. The court only obligates the basin. That's something that he took upon himself. So if there's no written document, that's not a lien on the property. Says, Even the basic is also only from the time of marriage when you actually write the ksuvah. Because since she put a date on, she forgives any liens that she has in the property prior to that date. Waves her rights from anything that comes before that. really say this? We learn that Yilav takes suvays of the wife produced against husband two suvays. One suva they mounted two hundred, and another suva that was dated earlier, and then a later suva for three hundred suvays. If she comes to collect the two hundred, she can collect from the time of the first suva. The lien begins in the date written in the first is but 300 which is an addition additional obligation that the husband obligated himself with the basic suva is only 200 maximum so she could only collect from a lien the lien only begins from the date of the second suva what he's saying is so I have two suvas which one is it did he commit 200 he commit 300 so we say whatever is to her advantage Let's say the husband sold all of his property, he has nothing to pay her. He sold everything before the date of the second ksuvah. So then she says, listen, I would rather go with the first ksuvah, because then I can collect, there's a lien on all those properties, because the ksuvah predates, precedes the sale of the property. So she can collect it to one of the properties. If, however, he still has property, or property that he sold after the date of the second ksuvah, it pays for her to go with the second silver. Because he gets 300. So whatever works. So he says, whatever works. So what? If you're going to say, according to Rabon, that the, per, the woman collects the basic silver from the time of the Edison and the supplement from the time of the second silver, Tigbe Messiah is Mandishan. It's very simple. Collect 200 from the first ksuvah. Because even though you don't need a, you don't need a document for that, since it's a, it's a condition of the court, so she can collect the 200 from the estate, from the liens, from the property that was sold. And then 100, use the second ksuvah to collect the, 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 the additional 100 on top of that. If Rabuna holds that the, the, the date, even though the date was written later, it doesn't mean the wife waives her rights for the previous, so let her collect both. Let her collect the 200 from the time of the betrothal, and then the, the, the 100 from, from, from the second time. The mother answered, time according to you, Tigbi Chachamish Meskol, once you collect 500, <laughs> you have 200 plus 300. But you don't say that. Why? 
Messiah is Mandishin. Why don't you say 200 from the first time? And maybe he added another 300. Why, why can't you collect 500? My time Gavia, why can't she collect five hundred? Keeping like Kazavla. He didn't write her. He didn't write five hundred. So Vesifalat last me Masai. He didn't write on top of the two hundred, I'm adding three hundred. That's not what he wrote. Halki Karma, this is what he wrote to If you want to collect from the first date, collect two hundred. If you want to collect from the second day, then, then, then you get 300. So whatever, whatever works better for you. Whatever works out better for you. If you want to collect from the first day, and you want to collect from any property that I sold after the first day, then you only get 200. If you want to collect from the second day, then you can get 300. also over here. We continue on 44A. Achinami over here. I mean, time like the reason he doesn't collect. He didn't say, I'm adding 100 over 200. He means that he wanted to forgive a first lien. He said, I'm not adding 100 to the 200. It's 300. So either this or that. You can't have both. So that's why either she collects the first or the second, whatever works better. You can't, you can't have both. It's not 100 on top of the 200. But in general, Abuna says, Abuna laws remains that if 200 you can collect from the time of the betrothal and anything additional, you could only 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 collect from the time the ksuba was written, which was the date of the marriage. He continues, everyone have a wonderful